Welcome to the PCOS Girls Podcast. I'm Bridget Warren, founder of PCOS to Wellness and creator of Sisterhood and Mamahood Teas. And I'm Melissa Christie, founder of PCOS Pathways and creator of the PCOS Journal. And guys, we are not doctors. We are just two women with PCOS who love reading about it, talking about it, writing about it, basically just oversharing about it. (laughs) So we recommend you find a health practitioner you love to support you on your journey. In the meantime, this podcast is all about how we have gone from hormonal messes to motherhood, the simple changes we've made to improve our PCOS, and the ups and the downs of living with this complex condition. Let's get into it. So welcome back to the PCOS Girls podcast. I'm Bridget. This is Mel. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) And today I got the chance to chat with the amazing, wonderful, talented Dylan Cutler. She, sorry, Dr. Dylan Cutler, I should say, (laughs) just a breath of fresh air and you guys are going to hear that when we speak to her but basically she has a PhD in PCOS and she just knows so much about this condition and she's done so much of her own research but she also looks at a lot of other studies that are out there and I honestly just I've learned so much just from knowing her for a little while but also being able to have this chat with her I just loved having so Mel I think yeah, you will like it. I think everyone else is going to like it, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's really going to like it. <laughs> it's just so interesting hearing about the PCOS research. There were definitely things in there that I didn't know. And yeah, even just the background of that is just super interesting. And yeah, I really loved hearing her process as well, like what she yeah. goes through with her clients. Yeah. Yeah, I think and for me, like just hearing her story and why she went into studying this at such a deep level, like her own personal story obviously drove her to want to know more about this condition and Mm. I guess, you know, really further her research and and end up with a PhD with basically in PCOS, which is pretty cool. (laughs) And the other thing that was really interesting was talking to her about why there isn't a lot of research to begin with. Like why aren't we getting, you know, we know this condition affects so many women. So why isn't there being so much more research and so many more studies done on this and to help women, you know, and I think hearing her perspective on that was really interesting as well. But she talks um, about some of her favorite studies that she's come across, which I think are really cool. Well, Mm -hmm. not really cool, but, you know, very interesting. And (laughs) and then just, you know, from her perspective as well, why, you know, what she does with her clients to help them get to a really good place where they can thrive and, and, you know, know that people PCOS isn't such a big driving factor in their life, which is, I think, really important. I think that's mm-hmm. something that you and I have, you know, had to learn as well as it doesn't have to rule our lives. And so she really worked with her clients to get to a point where it's just, it's sort of in the background. It's not this big issue anymore. So really loved her for that. Really enjoyed chatting with her. And I think you guys are going to love hearing what she has to say. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that you guys will get a lot out of it. Mm. <laughs> so we're going to do some recommendations again. I hope you guys like this. Yeah. You should totally let us know. If you hate it, <laughs> just tell us. We're like, we could just intro straight into the app, but we'll be like, no, we just want to keep talking to each other. So obviously when we do our recommendations, they're usually not PCOS at all related. <laughs> they're usually just things no. that we're doing in our life that we really love. So <laughs> you can go first with yours, Mel. Okay. Mine's really 
really, really random. It's so not related to health in any kind of way. <laughs> it's just, you know, like my favorite book series of all time. And I feel like oh yeah, <laughs> this is quite revealing. You're going to see a totally other side to me, but I was going to say, I feel like this is really going to change my perception of you. Or it's either going to like cement it or change it. (laughs) Well, I think change it because I was sort of shocked that this became my favourite series. Okay, it's called The Wheel of Time. And it is like a full epic fantasy series by Robert Jordan. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's 14 books. That's like a big commitment. Oh, yeah, it took me a few years. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm out already. I'm sorry. But I'm the kind of person who, like, when a book's great, I never want it to end. Or if a movie's great, I don't want it to end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can relate. That's me and Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so 14 books, I was like, okay, if it's great, this is going to be awesome. But then it'll be so, so sad and hard when it actually ends, which it was. But it's really awesome. If you guys are into fantasy at all, then this is just it's like the book series to read. It's really good. <laughs> okay. Fabulous. And have you finished? Have you read them all? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. And like by the end of book one, I was like, okay, when I finish this series, I'm just going to just start it again. Like right away. I don't ever want to read anything else ever again. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. I don't think I've ever had that yeah. except for Harry Potter. <laughs> Like there's never been a time in my life where I just would repeat yeah, a book. Like I've never done that except I have to for Harry admit Potter. Something. You've not read it. You, yeah, that's what you're I, I read book two, oh. <laughs> which is so wow. dumb. But... I feel like you just stabbed me in the I heart. Know. I don't even know how to take yeah. that. I feel like I'm hurting you. Like I feel bad oh. telling you. <laughs> I can't believe you were just going to sit on that when I'm. I don't. I don't yeah, I mean, look, now you've really shown me your true colours. Yeah, I know. But you know what? Book two was like our year 10, like, book to study at school. That's weird. It was really that's, weird. It was book two. Really and we weird. were all, like, really embarrassed because in the back of the book there's all these, like, letters to J.K. Rowling being like, hi, dear J.K. Rowling, I'm nine years old and we've read your book <laughs> in as our school book. <laughs> And it's oh like we're goodness. 16 years old and we're reading your book. It was just We're reading your book, that is. Yeah, and also I feel like the first, definitely the first two books of the series were written for really young audiences. Yes. Like I, because I, I was in year, oh, like year five or year six when that came out. Yeah. And I remember reading it like later on when I was in my teens being like, oh, wow, this is really like for children. so much younger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's really awkward for you. Yeah, it is. But because of that experience, I think it just like made it so I didn't really want to read it or something. And but I still would. I haven't ruled. I'll definitely read it in my lifetime. Well, I feel like if (laughs) anything, you should read it to Koji and your unborn child. It could be like your bedtime book when they get a bit older. Yeah, I actually can't wait to do that with him. I can't wait to show him the movies. And my friend, her son is he's 10 and she's doing it with him now where he has to read the book, like the Harry Potter book, before he watches the movie. And <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. I know. And so I'm like, that's oh, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's so good actually. I'd do that. I'd do it for myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, okay. What's your recommendation? Oh, I had two, but I'm gonna. It's a, so it's a. They're both Netflix series. Can I do both? Is that like allowed? Yes. They're so different. <laughs> they're like the most different. So, the first one is Unwell. 
I don't know if you've seen oh. it floating around on Netflix. So this is the thing. I don't actually watch a lot of TV. I don't have time to watch a lot of TV. So when I yeah. do, I am very picky with like what I watch. And usually mm-hmm. I like to watch things where I can either zone out completely mm-hmm. or like learn. Okay. <laughs> I say, this so like unwell. queer eye for the straight guy. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yes. I'm always like, yeah. And I also really like series where you could just binge them. So like, yes. cause I don't normally sit down every night and watch TV, but I'll maybe have like two hours one day where I can just like smash out some TV. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So this one is called unwell. I'm okay. only, I will admit I'm only into the third app, but okay. every app is basically they cover a different topic to do with the health industry where things have gone like seriously wrong and where, you know, people um, are sort of misusing health foods or not not necessarily foods, health um, related treatments to help with things. And they look at like the good side and the bad side of it. So and they're not saying it's bad all up, but they're saying like there's these dark sides to it. So for the example, the first one mm. is about essential oils. And um, basically they talk about, okay, like there's not really a lot of research. It's not a lot of proof that it's great. Like, you know, we know that people can be relaxed by it and we know that there's these sort of really nice benefits to it. But then there's all these other claims like it cured my cancer mm. or it cured this or you know what I mean. And, and there's really no research to prove that that's correct. But out of that, there has been, which is totally fine, you know, and people can still use it as whatever they want it to be, you know, whether it's a placebo or not. But then there's, there's all these other things where they've been able to make like multi-level you know, multi-level selling company. What are they called? Like basically like. Oh yeah. Like multi-level marketing, like like pyramid schemes, essentially. Yeah. MLMs. Yeah. And so there's like a bunch of these essential oil companies, which I'm sure you've know of. I definitely know of them um, where there's this real dark side to it and like how they sell and how it's just become this money-making scheme. Mm. And anyway, so it's really interesting. That That one was good. But then the one I just watched was even better, which was about breast milk. And oh my goodness, it was eye-opening. Like it was cool. It was really cool. Like, so there was some weird parts of it. No, you asked me a question. I feel like you were just about to ask me a question. No, I just wanted to know more. So go on. (laughs) (laughs) So I I mean, really, I'm recommending it so that you watch it. It's not me for me like the narrator. (laughs) Like I've just told you it all anyway. No, no, take me Um, through step by step. Okay. So basically it's about how breast milk is, as you and I know, Mel, Mm. this pretty amazing liquid, like liquid gold. Yes. But it (laughs) goes into this for our babies. You know, we make it for our babies. It's specifically designed for our babies. Mm -hmm. And like whether you breastfeed or not, we we know that there's benefits to breastfeeding. Um, But basically it's sort of like that aside, they go into this other side of it, how people, there's now literally this like black market to buy buy breast milk because, um, I mean, they followed this one story of this guy who wants, he's like a bodybuilder. And so he wants to use it to like basically have the best body he can. You know, he's seen all these benefits. He's like getting ripped. So he's like buying breast milk off the black market. (laughs) I'm making like breast milk protein smoothies. I was scared you were going to go somewhere like this. It's so weird. Because it freaks me out. But I'm also so intrigued that, yeah, like the benefits really must be amazing. Anyway, yeah. So, I mean, I'm like, that's a bit 
weird I don't know how I feel about that but sure you know and then they're talking about you know these beautiful breast milk banks which I just think are amazing and that's where Mm -hmm. women are donating their excess breast milk so that generally speaking majority of it goes to babies that are like premature or in the NICU ward or you know that that really need it so they can sort of get this what they they refer to as like mother's milk so obviously they talk about how it's not the 100% ideal because that's not the milk that's made for them but there's still so many great benefits they can get from this donated milk so that's amazing the yeah. next thing it goes into which is where it really opened my eyes to how cool this mother's milk is is that there was this um man highly educated i actually think he might have mm-hmm. been a scientist himself i'm not quite sure diagnosed with prostate cancer was looking pretty bad mm-hmm. he started doing his own research looking into different mm-hmm. treatments and stuff like that came across breast milk <laughs> and <laughs> coincidentally at the same time i think it was like his niece or something had just had a baby so she was like look if you want some milk i can give you my stash i can get a little secret stash happening so he starts taking this milk long story short does some testing basically the this level of whatever they're testing for diminishes it goes oh my god right so and then for as long as he's taking this breast milk it's basically undetectable like miracle he, his doctors are going whatever you're doing just keep doing it because it's it's great what was he what was he doing like he was drinking it yeah like making smoothies <laughs> and they like sure Gosh. like wish me up a breast milk smoothie <laughs> i'm like cringing <laughs> oh there were some really cringeworthy moments there was like one lady making like scrambled breast milk eggs i'm like oh. i can't do this like this is not what i anyway it was a bit weird but this guy was yeah. the interesting one because of this stuff and because he was yeah. doing it in a really like scientific way you know it wasn't like hey i've heard some cool stuff he was like no like i'm monitoring my levels i'm i'm investigating this i'm my own guinea pig i'm you know i want to find out more about this kind of thing yeah anyway the niece his kid starts to wean he doesn't have access to the milk anymore obviously it's not something that you can just like go and you know easily get um and he goes and he gets tested it's back the cancer's back and the only oh thing he God. did was stop having this milk right wow so anyway it goes on eventually he manages to get hold of one of these breast milk um banks and they said if you can get a prescription we'll give it to you so long as we've fulfilled our giving it to the kids who need it more first you know like that was the, always the, the yeah, they, yeah. they get it first and then if we've got leftovers you can have it kind of thing and then he and then he, he's continually wow. taking it to this day so <laughs> Oh my god! And so, are they doing research yeah. into? Yeah, they that? are, and I think that that this. Oh, so this is the other amazing thing. So they were saying, this milk. This is the first mm. thing that, as mammals, this is the first thing we eat. This is our first life source, right? And there is mm. less studies on this beautiful substance than there is on mm. like coffee. Wow. At, or male erectile dysfunction. <laughs> you know, like there was like double the amount of studies on that than breast milk. Like yeah, it is yeah. insane. And it's and it's this amazing, amazing study. Like I don't know how I feel about I mean, I can't, I don't like having cow's milk because I'm like, hey, for me, that should be for the, the baby cow, right? But then I'm, mm-hmm. but then it freaks me out more to think about drinking like a breast milk. Like that freaks me out more than drinking cow milk. Yeah. So now I'm like in this confused, I'm like, I don't know what I think anymore. It's also yeah. weird, like what's happening. But yeah, anyway, totally. long story short, really recommend it. It was, um, it's a very interesting and I don't know what the next couple of ones are. So um, stay mm. tuned for that. So that's called Unwell. And then the other one I was going to just drop in really quickly. <laughs> Yes, is, do um, it. <laughs> love on the spectrum. <laughs> this is 
Oh, I've, I've seen that there, but I haven't oh watched it. Oh my gosh, I just loved it. I loved it. It was the cutest, most real, raw, beautifully done in a, such a smart way where it's not at all derogatory or feels like they're making fun of these people, but basically it's, it follows a bunch of different men and women who ha- who are on the spectrum the autism spectrum mm-hmm. to some degree mm-hmm. and it basically follows them dating wow and a lot of it's not even about dating it's about meeting people learning social skills mm. understanding what they they see and what they feel and like the best thing about it is they just say what they're thinking there's no filter and yep. man it's refreshing <laughs> it is so adorable like you just go that's what I want to say. Like, why can't I say that? You know, because there's, and there's this one cutie pie, his name's Andrew, I think. And he's just adorable. And he mm-hmm. comes out, he gets dressed for his date. He's wearing like a full suit. I'm pretty sure they're just going to like a, the local fish and chip shop or something, but he's dressed up in his gorgeous <laughs> suit. He's so <laughs> handsome and cute. And then he comes out to his parents and he's like, an A plus partner looks like me. And he's just like, and his parents are just dying. Cause they're like, he's the cutest little thing ever, but he's just so real and honest and he's looking for this boy and he tells you what he's looking yeah. for and he's looking for a real woman who you know he can love and adore and that she has passions and interests and wants to support him like he wants to support her and you just go yes I would yeah. like <laughs> yeah it's so cute it sounds really moving it and is. like I would cry a lot <laughs> you cry and you laugh and you love it and it's sad yeah. sometimes because it doesn't work um, you know I think majority of them don't work out but they're not fussed because right. they're like, no, that person wasn't for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, we I all know, need to be anyway. more like they're this. They're my two recommendations. <laughs> oh, I love it. They're really, really good recommendations. Anyway, enough talking, more listening. Yes, <laughs> you get to let's listen go to my voice into this interview. Again. Sorry, guys, it's a lot of me talking in this next interview, but um, I think you're going <laughs> to love Dylan. She is like the coolest chick yeah <laughs> yeah i just want to be her should i get a pcos phd maybe oh look <laughs> if you've got a few spare years yeah. that you can dedicate <laughs> go for it <laughs> maybe i'll do it in my 40s <laughs> i know it would be cool to do she's she really knows she's really gone in detail and like this is stuff and do you know what it would be really interesting to see in the next 10 years because mm-hmm. she said there's quite a few studies sort of happening now right so hopefully we'll see a bit more coming out soon but um yep. yeah have a listen it's really interesting her whole perspective on it and yeah really love just chatting with her Mm. enjoy guys bye hello and welcome back to the pcos girls you're with bridget today that's me and today i'm chatting with the amazing 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 dr dylan cutler (laughs) yay did i say your name right your last name i feel like i said it wrong okay great How are you going? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm so excited to chat with you. I've been following you for so long and we've been connecting over text and video or voice chat. So now we can record something for everyone. It's great. I know. And this is a little background for everyone, but um, recently Dylan left me a voice message and I really, I hadn't listened, I listened to it on stories and things, but I hadn't actually like physically listened like in depth to her voice and I was like I just love your voice I don't know what it is about it but I I don't know if it's the accent or what but I wrote back being like you literally have the sexiest voice (laughs) (laughs) a little bit off topic but I was like wow I'm I'm really really excited to do a whole podcast with you (laughs) 
Thank you, Matt. That inspired side hustle. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is a, a bit of an icebreaker question for you, but I ask everyone this. So I just want to know, Dr. Dylan Cutler, what did you have for dinner last night? Ooh, last night. Okay. Last night I was, I was feeling kind of one of those moods where I didn't really want to cook. And I kind of trick myself on those nights to just make something really small. And then I find I like, so I was just thought, okay, I'll just make some quinoa. And then I started making the quinoa and I'm like, well, I need something with the quinoa, like veggie or something. So then I start, I start stir fry up some veggies. Um, like my go-tos are, uh, broccoli, cauliflower, carrots. I usually have those on hand, Mm -hmm. um, and chopped up and ready to go. And then, I I wanted some kind of protein source. So I threw in some tofu and then I have a full meal. And that was my night that I didn't want to cook. So (laughs) that sounds like a pretty good dinner for someone who didn't want to cook. I would be very happy with that. (laughs) It's just a trick. I I tell people just like, tell yourself you're just going to make like this one thing and then it will turn into more. (laughs) It's actually so true. And I always feel like you think it's going to be too hard, but then when you actually start cooking, you're like, oh, this is so easy. Why don't I just do this every night when I can't be bothered? Like it's so much easier than ordering takeaways sometimes and all that kind of stuff because if you've got it on hand I think the key is you have to have the stuff on hand like it's got to be in your cupboard or in your fridge if you don't have it then you won't do it but if you've got the basics there you can always make a very simple easy dinner Mm -hmm. and I was gonna say did Onyx your little kitty join in dinner or does he have his separate dinner she's actually eating right now she's a, a bit of a grazer she gets very moody when she doesn't have food in her bowl and like the uh the people pleaser and cat pleaser that I am, I always give her food. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, she's one. I feel though cats aren't so bad like as dogs. They don't overeat. They just eat as much as they need. Whereas dogs would, my dogs would eat that if you kept and feeding them. Yeah, exactly. She's a kitten. So I figure she needs to grow and needs her strength. And if she does eat too quickly, then, um, then not so nice things happen. And I can <laughs> topic now we need to get back in the game so can you please tell us tell everyone a little bit about who you are what you do and I guess why we've got you here on the podcast today sure yeah so I am a PCOS wellness consultant and my passion is empowering women with PCOS to take control and take back control of their health and their joy really because I find so much of PCOS is just stealing our joy. Mm. And so for me to be able to empower other women to heal themselves through um, holistic practices and to connect and support and give that sort of guidance that many healthcare providers are not uh, giving women at this time. And so that that's really my mission. And about myself, I have had PCOS. I was, or I do have it, but I've had it now for, since I was diagnosed 14 years ago. So I am very uh, experienced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I feel that it's been such a journey for me. And I, I would be doing a disservice to other people if I did not share like all the things that I've learned over the years, all the trial tribulations, and where I am today to feel where I feel like I'm thriving. Oh, that's so true. I learned so much from you actually just following you on Instagram. So I feel like you have so much amazing knowledge and you actually have a PhD in obstetrics and gynecology, but you specialize in lifestyle changes for PCOS. That's correct, isn't it? Which I think is so amazing. 
And there's no, I don't know anyone else who's doing that. So I think that is such an amazing tool and skill and asset to have because I just feel like it's such an untapped topic that a lot of doctors don't know enough about. So thank you for sharing your knowledge with all of us. It's, it's amazing seeing the things that you come up with. And I just, I guess from my perspective, how did your journey with PCOS sort of play into the fact that you wanted to go on and, and do your PhD in specializing in PCOS? Yeah, so I wanted to go into medicine since I was very young, probably at least middle school and high school. That was that was my goal and everything that I did, whether it was athletics or volunteer or um, my academics, it was all geared towards getting to medical school and becoming a doctor. However, my own experience with PCOS taught me that medicine only goes so far and or at least the way that the pharmaceutical industry is involved with medicine. So I did not feel that that was a place that I could ethically um, fit in, i.e. like prescribing birth control pill for PCOS. That's mm-hmm. not something that I would like to do or I believe in. So the PhD part was me thinking, well, I've managed to heal myself through holistic lifestyle changes. Why isn't this the first line approach for everyone with PCOS? And it's because we don't have um, solid research and it's not because it doesn't work. It's because we, we literally like don't have enough research funding to create the research and the science that is going to back up these practices that we're using. So I figured, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make the science myself. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's essentially what a, a researcher does, right? Oh, um, so, I love it. Yeah, that's what I did. I had a study with 400 women that I recruited and for everything from designing the study, collecting their data, like nutritional intake, physical activity, um, levels of stress, depression, anxiety, all these factors that are often overlooked. And I correlated those with their hormonal levels and their um, whether they're ovulating or if they're having trouble getting pregnant and all these other factors of PCOS that are really highly linked to our lifestyle. Oh, it's so amazing. I I could honestly sit and chat to you about this all day. I just find it so incredible. (laughs) And I just feel like there's so, so much lacking in the, in what is being done for the research around PCOS. And I want to get into that a bit with you a bit more later on about why you think that might be, but My main question I want to ask you is what is like the most interesting or like least known study that you've come across or research piece that you've done in PCOS that we might not know about or that you've just been shocked by yourself? Is there anything that's really stood out? Oh, there's two that come to mind. One's about dieting in PCOS and then one is about the psychological impact. So starting with the psychological impact, this is the, the study I refer to when people are, you know, are brushing aside PCOS is is not a big deal. And this is one of the first of its kind where the researchers took a feminist framework where they actually asked women what their experiences were with PCOS instead of the typical framework, which is to give a questionnaire and you have to, you know, fill in the bubbles, Mm. which don't really, they're not really describing your experience. They're very focused on an answer. So when we ask people to talk about what their experiences are, this is where we we get a a deeper insight. And the theme that was emerging was that women were just saying such terrible things about themselves and calling themselves monsters, feeling like they're unworthy of being loved or wanted or 
all these really like heartbreaking. It was just heartbreaking to read and to see it so vastly, like everyone was saying this in the studies. So that just stood out to me and it wasn't surprising because I talked to women every day about it, but it just put it really in writing and it's a published article by a journal. So, mm. it, you know, they, it's been peer reviewed and it's just a, it's called the thief of womanhood actually was what they titled the, wow. the study. Yeah. That's amazing. And I just, oh, it's that hits so true to me, even just because I think that no one can really understand the psychological and emotional factors that play into PCOS until you've gone through it yourself. Because obviously, you know, you go into doctors and they, t- they look at you and they physically tick off the boxes. You know, are you overweight? Do you have hair loss? Do you have acne, hirsutism, all those things? But you, they don't go into how are you feeling? Are you struggling? Do you have anxiety? Like, how do you feel about your body? body image, like all of these things. And they're so massive. So it's really cool to hear that that's something you've looked into. Is that a study that you personally did or one that you sort of looked at? Yeah. So it's out of, it's from, um, it was 2001, I believe. Um, Celia Sitzinger is the the main. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. What was the other piece that you looked at? Yes, it was a newer study and it was very relevant for my PhD at the time. So I was found a gold mine when I found it. <laughs> it was to, along the lines of how dieting and dietary inadequacy are linked with PCOS. So the storyline, how the, what the researchers found was that perhaps by this chronic dieting cycle that most of us are in because we've been told that we need to lose weight or exercise more or like, you know, like eat less, exercise more to lose weight, Mm -hmm. that we are actually making our PCOS worse. And that's where they found like this chronic dieting was so uh, prevalent in women with PCOS. And yet we still have these issues. So it's not working. Yeah. Um, So that's really profound again, to see amongst all the research that is is still trying to get us to decrease our body size and talking about obesity and all these, it's not about the obesity or the weight. It's about the restriction and and the mindset that we have. And that's what I try to get across with people that, uh, with my clients, that it's not about like, if we're focusing on losing weight, that's, that's not going to be an effective way of approaching our health. And it's likely going to do more harm than good. Yes, I love that. And that's something that I talk about a lot as well, because even just getting my own head around, it's not about, you know, restricting what I eat. It's about making sure what I eat is nourishing. It's not going to cause inflammation within my body. It's really going to help my body to produce hormones in the right quantities. And and I think that's a really big one. But also we see it a lot in exercise as well. Like I'm sure you see this a lot, but this over-exercising, this really high intensity exercise that a lot of women, some people fine but a lot of women like I know myself it really stresses my body out and so I've I don't do those really high intense exercises because I know that my body goes into this really big like it's a big cortisol adrenaline sort of rush that happens to my body and so I have to stick to those more cortisol conscious workouts I guess is that something that you would agree with yeah absolutely and that was a big factor for me when I was younger I was diagnosed with an eating disorder. It was bulimia and exercise bulimia. So the exercise was my purge. Ah. Yeah. So that was shortly after I was told I needed to lose weight for PCOS. So I had decided I'm going to, I'm going to work out as much as possible. I'm going to cut calories. I was on a 
terrible. I don't, I don't want, I don't like saying numbers, but it's just not enough for, I was a teenager at a time. It was probably enough child. And that was me trying to take control of my PCOS. And it was not, it was very harmful for both my PCOS, my hormones, my cycles. I did not have a cycle. And then of course, this new eating disorder that I had to address. This episode is brought to you by Sisterhood Tea. Hi guys, it's Bridget Warren, the founder of PCOS to Wellness and creator of Sisterhood Tea. Sisterhood Tea is a powerful blend of herbs that has been specifically created by me to help other women like me who may be experiencing the many frustrating symptoms of PCOS and other hormonal imbalances, which affect so many women. Every ingredient in Sisterhood is 100% natural and has a purpose. And most importantly, the ratio of each herb has been carefully weighed out to ensure the perfect amount is added into each bag to make it an easy and accessible way for you to manage your symptoms every day. And don't worry, I promise it tastes nice too. Sisterhood Tea is a powerful holistic alternative and is suitable for all women, but has been specifically designed to help support women who may be experiencing symptoms of PCOS and other hormonal imbalances, women who've been on the contraceptive pill or are coming off the contraceptive pill, problematic skin conditions such as acne and dermatitis, fertility issues, weight management, hair loss and hirsutism, moodiness, bloating and menstrual cramps, and of course, regulating the menstrual cycle. Sisterhood tea is 100% natural, organically grown where possible, vegan, and hand-blended and packaged in Australia. The results and hundreds of testimonials for Sisterhood tea are honestly just incredible. And some of the most inspiring stories include clearing up stubborn acne, growing back hair loss, regulating their period, and even successful pregnancies after years of trying everything else. We call them our little sisterhood babies. So if you want to find out more about Sisterhood Tea or read some more of the amazing testimonials, head over to PCOSToWellness.com where I ship worldwide. So interesting, but I think it's so common as well. And even um, Mel and I were looking at another study recently about women who have eating disorders and body image issues with PCOS, and it was astronomically higher than women who don't have PCOS. And I just thought, wow, and even things like binge eating disorder, orthorexia, like all these different things, we're really finding it's much more common in women who have PCOS. And we don't hear about that. Like our doctors aren't saying to us, you know, watch out for disordered eating signs or all those kind of things because they're normally telling us to, to lose weight or to change our diets or all that, you know, work on your exercise, yeah. it's, which is wild. And I think it can be so really negatively impact a lot of women. So it's, I love hearing that, you know, there's actually research that you've seen that shows the complete opposite to that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think I talk about eating um, disorders a lot on Instagram because it is such a in diet culture, it's so complex because we're trying to do things that are going to improve our health. But then we're getting these messages that are are not improving our psychological health. So like, what are we supposed to do? Yeah. And in the end, it, it does harm a lot of, of people. And 
I just wanted to make sure I got the stats, but yeah, for, uh, eating disorders are 14 times more prevalent in PCOS. Wow. It's wild. It's so crazy. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah, insane. I uh, thank you for sharing that. That's, I really appreciate you having the correct stats there for us. That's really helpful. But, oh, and yeah. do you see that a lot in your own clients? Is that something that you're seeing quite often? Yeah, unfortunately. And while it, it might not be a diagnosed eating disorder, there's still, there's levels of disordered eating, which again, I, I, unfortunately, I think we all have a bit of, because of these messages we hear all the time, like just even language, like, oh, I was so good today. Mm. I didn't have a donut or I was so bad. I mm. had a donut, like, like giving mor- morality to our food, um, creates shame. And we know, like we know research, research that shame doesn't motivate us self-compassion motivates us more. Mm. So have that. So part of the work with clients is switching from, which is not easy, but switching from the shame. Oh, I shouldn't have had this. I, I like, I'm a screw up versus, okay, like that happened. And my, you know, either my body was craving it or I was emotionally drained or tired or something, but we're moving on and I'm going to make like a different choice next time. Maybe like hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's such an amazing way to look at it. And definitely, uh, yeah, just, it's completely rephrases and puts a completely different mindset onto it as well. Doesn't it? Like you, it's a, you go from a negative connotation to a much more positive or we can change this. It's not a big deal. Like it's, there was a reason we did it and we can move on from it. (laughs) It's totally fine. It's not the end of the world. Exactly. And that reason can be so telling because a lot of us are eating from emotional, if we're emotional about something, we just had like, we're going through a breakup or we just had a fight with someone. So we're not being fulfilled on some level. And then we think that it is like the food that that is where we're going to get the fulfillment. Unfortunately, that's not where likely, unless we're actually hungry and not nourishing ourselves. But if it's emotional or if it's boredom, then there's nothing wrong with eating, Mm. but it means we have to address what else is going on. Yes. So true. Oh my gosh. Well, I want to get more into um, sort of diets and things like that with you in a minute, but I just wanted to ask from your perspective. And I mean, from my perspective, I think there is, but do you think there is a lack of research around PCOS and like, why do you, if you do think that, do why do you think that that might be the case? I definitely do. And it comes down to funding Mm -hmm. for PCOS research and, and women's health in general. And so I was a researcher for six years and I applied for many grants and, and my research was never funded. And so this was always really frustrating because I didn't understand why it Mm. seemed like such an important under like untapped area and it was going to change lives. And so I have theories. I I can't say that Mm. for sure or true, but I believe it has to do, well, one, it has to do with patriarchy. <laughs> so where we, where the funding is coming from and where it's going and we have to push for women's issues, yep. I say in quotes, to actually to come to the surface, like anything to do with uh, menstruation is just, is still taboo. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's not life threatening. So like, uh, we're not going to put research into it. It's just kind of suck it up and, and deal with your, your painful cycles mm. or endometriosis is the same story it's funded so it's these like these women's reproductive conditions that are very underfunded 
And it's not even about the amount of people affected because there's conditions with much less people affected that have more funding. So that, yeah, there's that. And then there's the lifestyle aspect. If I were to say I I, I wanted to look into this new drug that was going to like be the cure or, you know, there's no cure, but you know, that was, if that was the intention, then there's going to be more incentive for companies to Mm. contribute to that as opposed to lifestyle where um, no one really wins except I guess the farmers, you know, like we're eating more vegetables, Mm -hmm. fruits and and such. So there isn't as much money in lifestyle type changes. Yeah, I totally agree with both yeah. of those reasons. I very much, yeah, believe both of them are very true. And I also, I think as well, like our health system is sort of based on us having these issues because without all these issues, then the, the big farmers aren't going to make the money. So if we all of a sudden realize that we can make all these lifestyle changes, that for them is, yeah, not, as you said, not financially driving or um, any reason why they want to help us in that regard. So I do feel like we are pushing our big rock up a mountain, but I I think we're getting there and I think um, just women being more vocal and I think as well, like I don't know if you found this, but just even having platforms like social media is definitely raising a lot more awareness and I think that that is eventually going to push push people to want to do more research and hopefully put a bit more money into something that it's not like it affects a very small number of people. Like these are huge numbers of women who are experiencing issues with women's health, whether it's PCOS, endometriosis, other hormonal conditions, whatever, infertility, like there's just so much there that needs to be looked into. And I really hope we see a rise in the research over the next couple of years. And they do, it, it is life-threatening in the sense that it does uh, lead to conditions like type 2 diabetes, high yeah. um, disease, endometrial cancer. So by putting aside, you know, it, it, we're really overlooking so much, like these long-term risk factors mm. when we're saying that, you know, it's just a condition of the ovaries or, yeah, that it's not that big a deal. Like, the, you know, it really is a de- big deal and that's why. I'm so passionate about it is because most people don't know about these long-term conditions and these long-term ailments that are in higher numbers in women with PCOS. Yeah, totally. And even things like mental health and how, you know, that obviously has effect on the individual, but that also has effect on their families, the workforce, like it's a massive trail on effect. And yeah, you're so right. It it can be life-threatening when you look at the long-term effects of what's going on there. So, wow, crazy. Um, So we could talk about this for so long, I feel like, but we'll move on. I want to know, so I know that you are a massive advocate for plant-based diets and veganism and it's something I get asked a lot about as well because I follow a predominantly plant-based diet myself. I went vegetarian when I was quite young and that was mostly for ethical reasons. But as I've gotten older and I've had, I've really seen the effect that it's had on my health. I've definitely gone more down the plant-based route. And that's something that I'm going to stick with because I think it's worked really well for my overall health, but also particularly for my PCOS. And then also knowing that I'm giving back to the the world and the environment and all that kind of stuff. But that's my personal experience. But I get asked a lot, like, is there any research that actually backs up why plant-based diets are beneficial for something like PCOS and you are the perfect girl to talk to about this because I know that you are an advocate for this yourself and it's something that you follow and recommend so I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah definitely I am complete advocate for plant-based for PCOS. I've been vegan now for eight years eight and a half years Mm -hmm. and then vegetarian since I was 12 I think yeah yeah 
And so it started it for digest. Uh, I also have irritable bowel syndrome. So it started for digestive issues. And then um, later was diagnosed with PCOS and, and went the, went full vegan. But um, as far as the research, so most, so I, I'll speak a bit about the general research and then my specific research. In general, polycystic ovary syndrome is very closely aligned to type 2 diabetes because of the insulin resistance and the increased inflammation, and then also the elevated androgens, which are completely affecting the insulin. So if we have increased androgens, that does affect our uh, ability to manage our blood glucose levels. So they're both intertwined. And so when we're at risk of type 2 diabetes, or we have type 2 diabetes, a plant-based um, whole food diet has been shown to not only reverse, but also prevent for the future. So that was why it made sense to me. I thought these conditions are so similar and I'm at risk for type 2 diabetes. Like this makes complete sense as well as heart disease would be up there as well for a similar sort of condition. And then as far as specific research, my research looked at the dietary intakes of women with PCOS. And I found that fiber intake was associated with both insulin resistance and elevated um, testosterone. So meaning that the more fiber that um, people were consuming, the less likely they were to have insulin resistance and the lower androgens they had. Mm -hmm. So fiber is basically plant food. That's where we're going to get our fiber from. So that is you know, a reason itself to be more plant-based and less animal products because we're not, we're, animal products are not doing us any favors in far, as far as fiber. Yep. And the same, I had the same sort of results with magnesium as well. So those were the two nutrients that I found to have any sort of impact on um, the women in my study. And, the, you know, there was nothing to do with fat or protein or carbohydrates, which is like a lot of people think low carb is the way to go. Mm. But I found similar carbohydrate intake across all the people with PCOS and without PCOS, as well as people with insulin resistance and without insulin resistance. So it wasn't the carbohydrates in, in my study. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. And I think that's another reason why when I talk about it, I I refer to it as plant-based as opposed to vegan, because I know that there are some really, I mean, it, it, when you talk about plant-based, you're talking about eating plants and whole foods. And I think that that's a really important distinction to make as opposed to like, I know, for example, I've known many friends who are vegan, but there's a lot of delicious, very refined processed vegan treats out there. So it's moving Mm -hmm. towards this notion of even if you're not a hundred percent plant-based, but just adding in more plants and getting that um, higher increase in the fiber because that's going to do wonders for detoxification and all these other things. And yeah, I've, I totally agree with that. And that's, I don't know about you, but that's why I really like the concept of this like plant-based whole food, just really eating as natural as food as possible, like as it sort of comes and as much as you can, and whether that's a hundred percent or you do 80% or whatever it is that you can do. Like, mm-hmm. I just think it's so important. And I personally have had really great results and I yeah I think the more plants you can have the better you can't really go wrong can you yeah I know that's exactly my belief as well I say to try and eat as much food as possible that is in its most original form so as close to the ground or the tree that it came from and then we're immediately going to be reducing any processed foods by following that logic and then 
it's not, I like Lisa, it doesn't have to be a hundred percent vegan. That can be very intimidating. Mm. So I, as much as I would love that because if, if everyone is vegan, just for, for so many reasons, I know it might not be, you know, realistic, especially at the start. So that's why I usually say like 80 to 90%, just a plant-based, just increase your plants. It will, if we increase our whole food plant-based, uh, items, we push out the other items (laughs) and so filling and we're getting so many um, minerals and vitamins and so many nutrients that many people don't even don't even know what it feels like to have a green smoothie and like all those nutrients that go into us and will uplift us and energize us and our skin will glow likely and like all these changes just by adding in so much good and then even I say good, but adding in so much nourishment. Yeah, I know what you mean. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that's really great. I love hearing that. And I love that, yeah, we're sort of on the same page in that. Yeah, you just, it's just about getting as many beautiful whole food plants in there as possible. And you just do the best that you can. And you know, what's great now is that like, for example, my husband, he eats meat, but because I do all the cooking, he pretty much doesn't eat meat unless we go out. And that's the same for just animal products in general. But there's so many great alternatives now that he never questions the food I'm eating. He never questions, you know, everything I'm making is so delicious and healthy and nourishing that he's full after. It's not like he's craving more food after I finish cooking or anything like that. And I think even for him, it's been quite a eye-opening experience to see that he can get all that nourishment. And people have this um, preconception as well that you can't get enough protein. Like there is so much protein in plants that we don't need to to worry about that. The only thing that I um, personally supplement with because I eat predominantly plant-based is a B12. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. We need a B12 and not just vegans. Um, There's a lot of research Mm. that a lot of people that eat animals are also um, deficient in B12. So that's an important one to supplement. It's not one you want to mess around with as far as the uh, the risks that of being B12 deficient or, yeah. or pretty scary. So, so that is one. B12 and then vitamin D yes. is the one. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's super important for PCOS. We know that women with PCOS are, have lower overall serum levels of vitamin D and in a lot of the world as well, at least the, um, the Northern hemisphere, mm. I believe, um, we're not as exposed, uh, to the sun. So we need that vitamin D and it affects our mood. It affects our metabolism, everything really. Yeah, definitely. I, it's funny because here in Australia, obviously we have so much sun, but a few years ago, well, yeah, for a long time, we had this big thing about like, stay out of the sun, protect, you know, sunscreen hat, all these things. And then we saw this big drop in people becoming um, vitamin D deficient, which was hilarious because we had so much sun. So now there's this real, I guess, movement coming back where it's like, you know, just get a safe amount of sun. You don't need a lot. 10 minutes of unexposed sun is sort of like all you really need to get a nice boost of vitamin D. But if you can't get that, Mm -hmm. then supplements are a really good way to go as well. Really good natural supplements. Definitely. Yeah. It is tricky with this, you know, every summer it's a little bit, you want some sun, but not too much. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I know. I try not to advise on that because I'm like, I don't want to get anyone into trouble anywhere. So just do your thing. That's amazing. So I guess for people who are listening, who might not have come across you before, what is the work that you actually do with your clients? And what are the first things that you would look at or, or ask them to get a gauge of where they're at in their PCOS journey? Yeah. So first of all, I work online so I can work with anyone in the world via Zoom. 
Yeah. You've got some clients in Australia, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Just Yeah. It's amazing that, that we have this technology and no matter what kind of, or where you are, or, or even um, tried working with people with that speak different languages than me. It's hard. But <laughs> That's hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've tried. But so we do it through Zoom face to face or, you know, a, a phone call if, um, if you don't want to do a video. But I generally want to know about the person and what their life is like and how they're diagnosed, when they're diagnosed, their symptoms, what their biggest pain points are, like what it is that is really bothering them the most, and then what freedom would look like. Mm. Um, is that thing for everyone? Is like freedom from PCOS where we don't go about our days like every day thinking that I have PCOS, so this and this and this. Yes. Um, because I was there. I was there for a while where I was like, I have PCOS, so like this is what I have to eat. And I'm not allowed to eat this. And like, I can't go to this restaurant, like all these rules. And it just not, that's not freedom because we're always thinking about this condition that we have and it almost becomes us. So trying to separate, okay, like what would it look like to like, who are you with outside, outside of PCOS? So I ask about, you know, things about what kind of works do they do? I'm looking for a little more information about like their lifestyle, if they're sedentary a lot, if it's a really highly uh, stressed job, I then go into other stressors in their life, like nutritional stressors. So like, what are they eating? What kind of exercise, if any, what kind of movement, stress management techniques to talk about like meditation and mindfulness, because I'm huge, huge, mm-hmm. huge for both of those. And then supplementation, which usually, you know, involves a whole overhaul because a lot of people are taking like all sorts of supplements. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that they either, either it's too much and we don't know like what's doing what, if anything, that's the problem with starting on a ton of supplements and then, or they're not high quality mm. or they're just not personalized to the individual. Yeah. And then the other fact, I feel like I'm missing a factor. Oh, sleep. <laughs> oh yes. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Big one. Yeah. And, uh, that is, you know, it was soon as someone's, Oh, I'm not sleeping then. Okay. Like there's, we just, we have no idea how you can function. Like we don't know the, the possibilities are endless really (laughs) if you're not sleeping, because that could be life-changing if we get someone sleep back. So. Wow. I love that. They're such amazing questions and they just give you such a great insight into the person and what their pain points are and what might be the trigger points. Like, it's just, it's so amazing. I love that. And like, that's the kind of stuff we all, I'm sure we can all agree. We wish that our doctors asked us, you know, when we were diagnosed with PCOS and how we Mm -hmm. can go forward and help our condition and manage it. And like, you really resonated with me just then when you said, um, like, how do you live and not have it define you? Because I also went through like such a, I probably went through about a year of being like, all I could think about was PCOS. What do I do? What's my next thing? What's my next supplement I'm going to take? Like, how am I going to fix this? Like it just, it was such a, a struggle in my mind to like move away from all of a sudden the PCOS defined me and everything single little thing I did in my life. And then to now just feel like sometimes I forget that it was, I mean, I don't forget it because my Instagram is so there, but if I didn't have my Instagram or I wasn't in this world and, and talking about it all the time, I would literally forget that I have it. Like I just wouldn't even know that it's there because my lifestyle 
and the way I manage it now is just so normal and easy for me. Like there's no stress. It's so easy. And I just love that that's your approach. And I feel like the more women who can get to that point, like the better off. (laughs) And it's just going to be a happier world for everyone. Totally. Yeah. And that, that was exactly the same for me. I, I just, yeah, I, I didn't want it to define myself anymore. And I generally forget. Um, I mean, again, aside from it being like, I live and breathe it because mm-hmm. I, you know, spent 10 years in, in university education learning about PCOS then decided to make it, it public and be my business and then living it. So yeah. <laughs> you can't escape. <laughs> yeah. And yet I don't, it's such a, my lifestyle now is so, I guess, seamless in mm-hmm. a way. I really don't think about it in that sense. And it's usually when people ask me about it a lot because they'll go to my Instagram and then like, let's see. So like if I'm meeting someone, then they will come up. But, but yeah, that's the, that's kind of what I, what I want for people. And the other aspect that I forgot to talk about was, uh, which is huge is relationship health and mm. like the support network that we have because we, who we're around, like our living situation, it, it can be really difficult for other people to understand what it's like to have PCOS. Yes. So a lot of people and their partners like may struggle trying to come to uh, figure out how to eat together or exercise together, especially because like a lot of the things that um, like if we're talking about a couple between like, like a man and a woman that just physiology, then it's going to be different if like the male is on some diet and exercise plan and typically it works for the man and then the woman's not seeing results. And it's because we're different, like we're structured differently. We have hormonal fluctuations by the month. And so, yeah, knowing that whether they have that emotional support, if they need to kind of start to look at that and Mm -hmm. create some boundaries or education um, for the people in their lives, those sort of things. Yeah, that's amazing. Such a big one. Like I just, yeah, people don't even think about that. I actually get asked that all the time. Like, how do you explain to your loved ones what PCOS is or how can they help? And it's such a hard one to answer because I just feel like it's so dependent on who it is they're actually referring to, what their, what their support Mm -hmm. system actually looks like. And unless you sit down and have these conversations with them, I can't just say one thing because I, their experience is going to be so different to my experience, but like the fact that you sit down and you actually delve into that question, I think is incredible. And like hats off to you. Cause I just think you're, you're learning so much about these people before you even get in there and start looking at what they can do to change their lives, which I love. Cause you're amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so important. It's all, I just, it, we're all intertwined, you know, every yes. system of our body, our mind, it's all connected through the, the HPA access. Like our brain goes right down to our ovaries and, so it's not hippie dippy stuff. Like it's, it's legit science. So it's important. Totally. Well, I love that. And I love you. And I just want to know where can anyone find you if they do want to work with you? Tell us everything. <laughs> so Instagram is where a lot of people find me and I have a lot of free resources there. So that's at Cutler, and that's Dr. Dr. And then my website is fruitful dish. That was my, my, it's my blog originally. So it's fruitful with a pH and yeah, you'll find lots of recipes there and wellness type articles on supplements and, um, like how we can use safer products because that's important too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's lots there. Then of course, like you can 
shoot me a message and or book a consult if you already know that's what you want to do. But um, usually I, I can talk to people first and answer some of their concerns about um, how the whole coaching goes. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I know I've learned so much from you just from following you on Instagram and chatting with you. And I've also got your recipe book as well, which is amazing. So I just, yeah, thank you for all that you share and thank you for joining me today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. And I look forward to when it's posted and listening to our lovely voices. (laughs) Thanks Dylan. Bye. Okay. Bye.